the month of November, I've been preaching a series of messages that I've titled After Exile. And um, we're looking how God brought the nation of Israel back from captivity, back into Jerusalem. They were, they were exiled away from their homes, their families, their farms, and their faith until God stepped in. And I guess this is similar, I felt a number of weeks ago, this is similar to where I feel the church, including ours, but the broader church is today as churches are starting to regather, as churches are starting to come together from different places, different homes, different venues, and finally we are able to regather in a place where we can corporately come and sing and worship and pray and celebrate God and His goodness. And so uh, 20 months we've been roughly disconnected in a, in a place where we're coming and going and not too sure what's going on. And, uh, and so here we are now looking at what, what it looks like after exile for the church. And the stories we're looking at are in the books of Ezra and the, particularly the book of Ezra. Ezra and Nehemiah are companion books. In the e-news a couple of weeks ago, there's a great little eight-minute video. It gives you a great overview of the story of Ezra and Nehemiah. So if you haven't watched that yet, have a watch. Your kids will love it. It's, a, but it's fascinating looking at the big picture story, how God is at work. And so um, I want to start with a question for you guys today. Have you ever been promised something, got your hopes up regarding it, got your expectations up, and then it didn't come to pass? Maybe it was a gift as a child. Someone, you, you really wanted a special gift and you'd been talking about it and, and dropping enough hints and, and people were sort of indicating it may happen and so you got so excited and then it didn't come to pass. And so maybe it's been gifts. Maybe it's a, um, maybe someone else stood at, a, at an altar once and promised you something for better, for worse and, and they didn't fulfill that promise. Maybe, um, Someone said they would do something and they didn't do it. Maybe said they'd stop doing maybe someone said they'll stop doing something and they kept doing it. Maybe maybe someone just kept promising and promising and just never came through. How does that make you feel? I know in some of those things it totally guts you. It totally hurts you. It's betrayal, hurt, disillusionment, discouragement. And the question I have for us to think about, have you ever been let down by people? Or perhaps you felt even let down by God. And that's where I want to start our story today because that's where we're going to join the Israelites in their journey. Uh, this message will spread across two weeks. And, uh, but we've discovered here the Israelites started to experience a time when they started to feel disappointment with God and God's plans. Now I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm certain all of us at some stage have either felt that disappointment with God. He promised us something. He said, he said something would happen. He, he had a timeline aside for us. He knew that God, this is, God's going to do something that's going to happen like this and this, and it never came to pass. It's not, it's maybe it's not coming in the way that you wanted. Maybe you had an expectation that God would step in and act, maybe for healing or a relationship or for a, a situation at work or a friendship and you're saying, God, you, you, you promised me you'd step in and yet it, it, time has come and gone and it, it just hasn't happened. I'm sure all of us in some way have experienced that or in some way you'll experience circumstances where it's very easy for us to get disappointed in God. And in the midst of this space, I really believe Ezra is going to challenge us or he's going to make us think differently about God's promises for us. Because many people expect God 
to give them whatever they want. A lot of people treat God like a genie in a bottle. Well, I'm going to rub the bottle and up comes God. What, he's a divine butler, perhaps. What, what can I do for you? You know. And we, we can treat God like that. We can treat him as that, that we are in control of him and what he does. And we, we put our wish list in. We put our, like our Christmas list. We get our catalog and we circle all the things. And we give it to God and go, hint, hint, there you go. Thanks a heap. And when that doesn't come to pass, no wonder we get disappointed. No wonder we, we go, hang on a sec. I, I circled all these things in my, in my prayer catalog and you didn't deliver them. Thanks a heap. I think we're getting the, a, a wrong understanding of how we should be relating to God. So does God give us everything we want? Or, or does God give us what he faithfully promises? Because the truth is God always comes through with his promises. He is always faithful. And so this is the tension we're going to try to explore looking at Ezra, but also looking at your life and looking at my life. And the nation of Israel, they're going to see that they've got this tension between what God's promised and, and yet what God's delivered is not quite what they expected. So that's what we're going to work through. So let's pray. So Father God, I just thank you that we can gather together and worship and sing and celebrate your goodness. And Lord, we, we do thank you that you are with us all the way. Jesus, you said you'd never leave us or forsake us. And Lord, I pray this morning and this this next week as I bring an end to this little series, Lord, and as we turn toward Christmas, Lord, I just pray that, that we'd all discover that, that your promises are yes and amen in Jesus. And Lord, that you'll help us to process and think through what, what do we do? How do we respond when, when things may be different than what we want? Open our eyes, open our hearts this morning, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so, so the context for Israel, they've come back from exile. They've rebuilt, last week we looked how they rebuilt the altar. They rebuilt their, their, they started to worship God in the midst of the rubble. They started celebrating, they, had, they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles is where they actually remember and celebrate what, how God delivered them from Egypt. And so at this point in the story of Ezra, uh, they've been back around about two years. They've rebuilt, they've, they've come back from, from captivity, from exile. They've rebuilt their homes. They've rebuilt their towns, they've, they've, re, they've rebuilt their farms, and now it's time to rebuild the temple. So they've done all the stuff that is, you know, just the, the, the normal day-to-day -day stuff they needed to sort out. Now, so they've now come to rebuild the temple itself. Now, remember, the temple wasn't just run down. It wasn't just, needed, just didn't need a pressure cleaner on the bricks and, and a bit of cobwebs to, to clean it down. The temple was totally destroyed. And so, uh, so they needed to start with the foundation. So in Ezra chapter 3 verse 7 we start the story. Then the people hired masons and carpenters and bought cedar logs from the people of Tyre and Sidon and paid, them, uh, paid for them with food, wine and olive oil. The logs were brought down from the Lebanon mountains and floated along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea to Joppa for King Cyrus had given permission for this. Sometimes when you read scripture, you go, that's just very interesting. Yeah, well, okay, well, thanks for that. Thanks for that bit of information. It helps me in no way. Do you ever think about that? That's just information. But you know, this is not information. I'm going to talk about this next week because there's some really, really, really important things in here that will connect to some prophetic words from Isaiah that actually, it's an amazing thing. But a couple of quick things to note in this one verse is the people of Israel, they had plenty of food, they had plenty of wine, and plenty of olive oil. But they didn't have plenty 
of tradesmen. Carpenters, stone workers, they didn't have enough timber, and so they had logs uh, being shipped in from Lebanon. And, and lastly, another interesting point is the king, a foreign pagan king, had given authority and given permission for this to happen. Now I want you to, we're gonna, I'm going to revisit those points next week, but I think it's really significant. And so, let's go to verse 8. The construction of the temple of God began in mid-spring during the second year after they arrived in Jerusalem. So for two years after they got back. The workforce was made up of everyone who had returned from exile, including Zerubbabel, son of Shealtel, Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, and his fellow priests, and all the Levites. The Levites, who were 20 years old, were put in charge of rebuilding the Lord's temple. So, so here uh, we've been told that it's the, the older, 20 years plus, were the people who were involved in rebuilding. Verse 9, the workers of the temple of God were supervised by Jeshua with his sons and relatives, and Kadamiel and his sons, and the descendants of Hadover, and they were helped in this task by the Levites of the family of Hanadad. I remember I made a comment in last week's message, and I think Sue got back to me on Facebook or something and said, those, those, those Hebrew names are very difficult to pronounce when there's like a million of them in the Bible. And so, okay, so let's think. Up until this point in the story of Israel coming back after exile, they were very familiar with the tension between joy and sorrow. What I mean is that they were exiled for an entire generation. For at least 55 years before they started to drift back, 70 years from when the prophetic word of Jeremiah came to pass, they, that's a whole generation of people who were exiled away from their home, from their families, from their hopes, from their faith, from their temple. So, so everyone in exile was experiencing bitter grief. They all knew what it was to be somewhere where, God, where, where they felt that God wasn't because they believed it all revolved around their temple. So on this one hand, they've got this grief and um, every day they were reminded that we're not where God wants us to be. We're not where God had promised. God had promised us going back to Abraham, back to this promised land. And this is not it. So we've got this tension of I'm somewhere where God doesn't want me to be. I'm living in a society which is not a godly society. And in uh, Psalm 137, I've, I've talked about this a couple of weeks ago, uh, a great song by, uh, who's that band? Boney M, thank you, by the rivers of Babylon. You know, I'm not gonna, I didn't sing it then, I'm not going to sing it now. But, um, but in Psalm 137, we see, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and we wept. We're getting a glimpse in this verse on the incredible pain and sorrow and grief that they had whilst they were in exile. And so in the midst of this grief and pain, God would speak through the prophets and speak of a time when he would deliver them and bring them home again and restore their land and their, and their wealth and restore their temple. And so for, for decades, 50 to, uh, for five to seven decades, the, the southern tribes of Israel were in exile from what God had for them. They were living between the promise of God, the promise of return, and, and, and the the place where they're at now. And so it's hard when you, it's, I know it's hard, it's hard when you live between when you know God said something and you're not there yet. Has anyone experienced that? It's hard. 
It's hard when you know whether it's your healing for your body, whether it's your, your marriage, or whether it's your friendship, or whether it's a work situation, or something you're working on. And you know that God has promised there's going to be shifting and changing, and there's going to be some, His goodness is going to come through. And, and you know that, and you're, you're hopeful, but right now it can feel really, really bad. And there's this tension, and that's exactly what the Israelites were facing at that time. But now we come to, now this is about two years before the moment we're reading about today, two years before that, God came through. Tell the person next to you, God always comes through. I tell you what, He always comes through. And, and two years before the moment we're reading in Scripture, God came through on His promise to deliver them through Cyrus. And everything changed. They returned they rebuilt their, their towns, they rebuilt their homes, they rebuilt their farms, they, they rebuilt the economy, they re-established that Israel was now a nation that trades with other nations. They're not a nation that is constantly at war or constantly uh, opposed to the nations around them. We're finding them now trading with other nations. Things were going well. In October the year before this, they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles as I said, celebrating the God who saved them from Egypt. They rebuilt the altar at that time. So, so then they hired the masons and carpenters. They were interacting with community and nations around them. It seemed like things were finally looking up for the nation of Israel. And to top it off, the king had given them his executive order that they could have as much, they could liaise and, and access as much as they needed to to rebuild their temple. And to top it off, well, I mean, you think that would be good. To top it off, their leader Zerubbabel, he was from the, he was a descendant of King David, and so you can imagine for a Jew whose whose hope is uh, a Messiah would come to deliver them, they would be all these things are coming together, thinking this is this is the time God's going to act. He's brought us back. We've rebuilt. <coughs> We're functioning as a as a society. Our economy is growing. Um, uh, the, our leader is a descendant of the greatest king we ever had. In fact, uh, that, that was Zerubbabel. And then we have um, Je uh, Je Je Jehovah. I can't see it anymore. Jeshua. Uh, there was the priest. He was also under the lineage of the priestly line. So it seemed like all their stars were coming into alignment, if they believed that type of thing, which I don't think they did. But um, if you were living, if you were living in this time of Ezra, you would be thinking. Wow, it's so evident God's blessing us. It is so clear that God is opening all the right doors. God is giving us favour. God is making everything happening, have happening for us. Which I can understand that. And so let, let's, let's keep following this through and, and go to verse 10 and have a look what happens when the foundation of the temple gets laid. In Ezra 3 verse 10, when the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, check this out, they, they had such a party. The priests put on their robes and took their places to blow their trumpets. And the Levites, the descendants of Asaph, clashed their cymbals to praise the Lord just as King David had prescribed. With praise and thanks they sang this song to the Lord, He is good. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord because of the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. I don't know if you can transport yourself back into what was happening in their life at this moment. Now, we don't know how long it took to fix the broken foundation. I'm sure they had to put some gap filler in and replace some stones and make sure the foundation was right. And um, 
But when it's done, you see, when the foundation is laid, you see that they just celebrated. The trumpets, the cymbals, they just, they just championed everything what God was doing. Now, if they were so excited when the foundation was laid, can you imagine how crazy they would go when the walls are erected? Or when the roof was put on, or when the Holy of Holies was built? You see something so exciting happening in the heart of the nation when the foundation was laid. Now, sometimes it's hard to necessarily think in, in terms of what happened in Scripture back then, but I read about something that happened in America which, which may help us understand what's going on here. Uh, after 9-11 occurred, the nation was plunged into deep grief and deep sorrow, understandably. Their identity of, as a nation was smashed. It was, it, was burned, it was a burning pile of rubble. The buildings that symbolized their wealth and their power were destroyed. And it took a long time for the nation of America to actually go through the corporate grief and the corporate pain and the hurt that had, had occurred for them. It took six years, six years later, it took time for them to deal with the pain and the grief and to remove the rubble. Six years later, 40 cement trucks poured the foundation of Freedom Tower. And when that happened, the nation went crazy. They celebrated, they cheered, they, they were so excited to see the foundation relayed. And so now you may get a bit of a glimpse into what was happening with the Israelites because for them, the temple meant everything. It was destroyed. Without the temple, they had no hope. And for them to see the foundations laid, and the same thing for the Americans, to see their identity, the thing that one of the things that defined them, it showed them, it showed the nation of Israel that God had not forgotten them. It shows them that, that God had not, that, that, that life is better when God is at work in their life. They'd lost their temple. They, they were wondering if things would ever return to normal. But they saw that God would never give up on them. And that's why when they saw the temple, being, the foundation being laid, they got so excited because they were reminded something about God. They shout about His unfailing love. They shout about His faithfulness and His loving kindness. The word, the Hebrew word here is the word chesed. So you can tell the person chesed next to them. Next, Say chesed. So you're not going to spit on them because your mask's on, so it's all right. Now you've got to wash your mask when you get home. This is a, this is a complex word. It, it refers to God's nature, God's goodness, God's mercy, God's kindness. But it's also used, particularly through the Psalms, to define that God is a covenant keeper. God is a promise keeper. And so, so here they were using this word to declare, the word loving kindness, the, the word chesed is there. But they are declaring this truth that God keeps His promises. Every time they sang it, every time they shouted it, they reminded themselves and they declared to those around that their God was a promise-keeping God. And that God had never given up on them. Even though they found themselves in exile, even though they, were, they seemed cast away from where they wanted to be, God was at work and God was bringing about His good plans. And they were, they were reminding themselves, God doesn't betray us. God never fails us, and God never will. 
foundations. I'm going to close my, my, my message around this idea of foundations. I want you to think about how the nation of Israel responded when they saw the foundation laid. Before anything else was built. Before, before, anything, was, before, before it, anything was around them, it was just a foundation. How many of us get that excited about our foundation? Think about how God works in your life. Why don't you start at the beginning? You see, we don't need to do anything except turn to God and, and, and put our faith in Him, turn to Him and receive what He has for us. It starts with the foundation with this Jesus as our cornerstone. And the scripture is full of, of, of what that means for us. We, he adopts us as his children. And we don't need to do anything. He forgives all our sins. Upon the cross, he did, that, did, he did it all. All we need to do is accept that, believe that, receive that, and align our hearts with him. He makes us eternally righteous. And we don't need to do anything about that. He gives us eternal life. And what does that cost us? It costs us nothing except, uh, except surrendering to Him. He gives us hope and forgiveness and joy. He gives us His beautiful Holy Spirit and He fills us with His presence. This is all in our foundation in Jesus. And we have to do next to nothing except believe, receive and accept. That's our foundation. And we have so much to be grateful for. We have so much to be thankful for. But, everyone said but. But often we aren't content with our foundations. Because you know what? We want the whole building. We want to have it all at once. We want, we want God like a genie. To, to, to heal us and to fix us, to fix our health problems, our anxiety problems, our, our financial problems, our marriage problems, our addictions, our fears, our brokenness and our mess. And we, we say, okay, it's great. Thank you, Jesus. I've got a new foundation. You're my sure foundation. You're the cornerstone. But God, I want the rest. I'm, look, where's the rest? And that's what we want. And we, we, we live in a world where everything is instant. And, and I think sometimes we forget of how beautiful the foundation is. Sometimes I think we forget how, how sufficient the foundation is in Jesus. And we get frustrated, but I get frustrated in the building process. Who's ever built a house or had a renovation done? Isn't it frustrating when it takes so long? <coughs> or when the rain comes and, and things get delayed? And so sometimes we get frustrated saying, okay, God, yeah, we sort of dismiss the foundation, but I'll tell you what, the foundation is everything we need in Jesus. And we, and we can just move along and say, okay, let's, let's get the next thing sorted out. And, and come on, God, why is it taking so long? Why am I still struggling with that thought or that attitude or that behavior? And we say, God, what is wrong with me? Or even, well, even more real, what is wrong with you? That you are, you are slow, that you've, you've done this, and we start to put all this blame onto God. And we say, well, I wish you'd hurry up. I wish you'd just fix this. I wish you'd sort it out. And the times of frustration between the promise and the provision. 
That's what we're talking about. This is what the Israelites were facing, the tension between the promise and the provision. That when we're in that tension, the worst thing, that, well, the last thing we want to do, when we're, when we're, when we're frustrated and, 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 and struggling, the last thing we want to do is the first thing the Israelites did. With praise and thanks, they sang the song to the Lord, He is good. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord, because of what? Because just the foundation. Just the foundation. You know, at times, it's not easy to look beyond the foundation. But look at these guys. They, they didn't have a temple. They just had a foundation. And they are so grateful that God is good. They are so grateful that His love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on them. They are so grateful for all God's done to, to deliver them from their enemies. And they know that God is faithful to His promise because they've seen it time and time again. And they know that God will fulfill His promises to them. But they're also learning He may not fulfill them in the way that they expected. That the way they hoped. Even the way that they wanted. But God always comes through. That's a great foundation for the Israelites to build their nation upon. And I think it's a great foundation for us today to build our lives upon. And while our foundation in Jesus is so good, and it's fully sufficient, God's got a plan that is built on his foundation. And God has a good plan for us. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created, I, I, like, I like this, I like putting myself in this, for I am God's masterpiece. He has created me anew in Christ Jesus, so that I can do the good things he planned for me long ago. You see, the foundations, whilst it's everything for us because of what Jesus did on the cross, there is, there is more that God wants to work in us because of that foundation. And God has planned good things for you to do. He planned this a long time ago, before you even knew him, before you even called him dad. He has a good plan for you, and he has created you new. He has laid a new foundation in your life. He has given you still. <coughs> Paul says in Philippians, Paul says, you know, and I am certain that God who began the good work in you, Paul is saying, I'm confident that the God who laid the foundation of Jesus in your life I am confident that he will continue to build on that foundation, continue his work, continue creating that masterpiece until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Friends, we've got a wonderful foundation and it's worth celebrating. And, it's, and Jesus' words, it's worth remembering all that Jesus did. Friend, we need to do that. Especially when sometimes that's all we got to look at. Because the rest of the environment can still look like a, 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 a destruction zone. It could still be run down. 
And as you look at the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, there's still work to be done. There were walls to get rebuilt. There were gates to be strengthened. Sometimes we think, great, Jesus, I've got Jesus, that's, that's all I need. I'm just going to live happily through the rest of my life. And you know what? That's very romantic. But the reality is, yes, we've got Jesus. We have everything for life and godliness, through Jesus, through his work, through his Holy Spirit, through the community that he gives us. But there is work to get done. There is, because God wants to create and build something that he's already established a good foundation on, of Jesus' body. And so, let's, I want to encourage you, let's continue to surrender. My point there is, trust the builder. God is the master builder. He has a plan. He has a blueprint. And you may not understand it. You may not appreciate it. You may not even think that's the right way to do it because if you were the builder, you would do things differently. But let me tell you, God always comes through on his promises. He will come through in a way that can astound you, can surprise you, can even just have you... Well, surprise is probably the way to go. God will come through. And I want to encourage you to remember that. And... Remember, he is always faithful to his people. He's always faithful. Always faithful. Always faithful to his people and to his promises. And always we need to remember that his ways may not be our ways. So, in this time of tension between the promise and the provision, what I'm learning from Ezra is when we, when we face this, ten, this tension, let's praise him. Actually, I might get our, our team up. If we can, while we, while I see Jeremy's getting ready. In the time between the promise and the provision, let's praise him. Why? Why are we praising him? Well, we're praising him because of the foundation, because of Jesus. And we're praising him because of the life that he's given us and the hope that he's given us. Even though the temple may not build, even though the marriage may not be sorted out, even though the, the, the child or the parent or the relationship or the work situation or the health situation, even though that may not even be looking like it's going the right direction, we can praise him because we've got a sure foundation in Jesus and God has promised us that he, what he has begun, that he will fulfill in our lives. He will, he will progress and build us into that masterpiece, into that piece of... Uh, uh, creation that he wants for us that we can do what he's called us to do which is to tell people and to the goodness of Jesus even when the foundation is laid we can celebrate the foundation and we should celebrate the foundation so a simple thing you can do this week every day why don't you take a moment take 30 seconds take, take, take a minute take 10 minutes take whatever long it takes you just think about the foundation of Jesus. Think about what he's done. Don't, don't, don't think about what he's yet to do. Don't think about what hasn't happened. Don't think about all the struggles you're still struggling with, and anxiety and the, and the, the problems. Don't, don't think about what's yet to get done. Think about what's already been done. And it's already been done by Jesus on the cross. There's no work we need to do to, to, to have that foundation laid. We just need to surrender to that. But can we all stand, please, and I'll pray. Yeah, next week, I'm, I'm excited about next week's message because I'm really going to revisit how 
prophet Isaiah spoke to this space and, and how he brings Jesus into this story because ultimately it's all about Jesus and it's, uh, I encourage you to come back next week indoors, outdoors, doesn't matter, we're online um, but that's next week but today, Father God I just thank you for your promise I thank you that you are a promise giver you are a promise keeper and Lord I just thank you that you are faithful to your promises and Lord I just pray for us right now Lord, as, as we look at the foundation, Lord, help us to be content. Help us to be satisfied. Help us to actually be excited about the foundation of Jesus. Help us to look at, at this foundation that, that has been laid in our lives by you. And help us to see the potential for all that can be as we surrender ourselves to the master builder. And Lord, I just want to, as I'm praying, if you're here this morning and you're, you're struggling between the promise and the provision, if you say, Mark, this message, I'm really, this message is speaking to my heart because I feel God has promised me this stuff and, and all I've got is a foundation and I'm, I'm getting frustrated or weary and tired by the journey. I'm not, I'm not going to call you up the front, but I want to pray for you. Just, just give me a little wave and say, Mark, that's me. I'm, I'm in the middle. I'm between the promise. Thank you. I'm between the promise and the provision. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm stuck in the middle. And I, I'm so grateful for my foundation. And I, I'm so grateful for Jesus. But Lord, I'm, I'm frustrated where I'm at. And you know, it's okay to tell God that. And so Lord, I pray for those who are responding, who have said that I'm, I'm stuck in the middle. Lord, I pray that you would give them a, a fresh view of the foundation. For each one, Lord, that you would help them to see everything that Jesus is in them. And that you would give them a glimpse into everything that you are wanting to build on them. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to, to in this time of tension between the promise and the provision, help us to be grateful for our foundations. And help us just to trust you, to trust you in the process. To trust you in the journey. Not to get frustrated at ourselves. I want to get frustrated with you, but to surrender, to allow in our hearts, our thinking, our attitudes, our actions to, to your plans for us. And Jesus, I ask this in your name.